0: Welcome to Life on the Illinois Prairie. Your host is Wendy Fleming Dexter, and after 30 years living in small-town Illinois, she has stories to tell. Past cornfields and factories, into the heart of Amish country, there's more here than what meets the eye, far beyond what you think you know. So buckle up and stay tuned. This is Life on the Illinois Prairie.
1: Hi, and welcome to this edition of Life on the Illinois Prairie. I'm your host, Wendy Fleming-Dexter, and today I have a guest named Joel Baker. You may have seen him on CBS Sunday Morning in recent episodes, sharing about fiberglass giants that used to dominate this country several decades ago, and they're still around, some of them very well hidden. Joel, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Always enjoy talking about muffler men.
1: Oh, I bet. I bet. So just tell a little bit about your background, if you would, and, and how you developed this interest in this fascinating hobby that you have and this turning into a business, I'm sure.
0: Sure, I, I guess it, it all starts back around 2011. I'd been working at that point, probably almost 10 years in media. I worked on uh, actually uh, what we call a production truck, where we traveled around. I drove the satellite truck, but we had a like a small convoy of us guys. We worked for a company, and we did nothing but travel. I was uh, right out of college, single. It was just a great time to travel. All it was a great job at the time to travel all all over the country. And we were in Florida, and I remember I had found this headless giant brontosaurus dinosaur roadside attraction. And I was very curious as to why it didn't have a head. And, you know, clearly it was very old. It had been there since the 50s. And I was trying to find out some information and ran across this website called Roadside America that seemed to list all these oddities on roadsides. And when I was done reading about that dinosaur, I saw a little advertisement on the side that said, Mufflermen, you know, learn the history. And they had this map of all these giants that looked very similar. And there was one uh, in Dade City, not far from where I was. And so I think it was late at night. We were coming back from somewhere. I had the, the, the van and I stopped by and that, that was my first sighting and like something just clicked up here. And I was like, this is so cool. And I had so many questions, and it really snowballed after that.
1: <laughs> oh, I bet. Well, you know, I'm I'm 71 years old. And so I remember, I grew up in rural Illinois. And so I remember a time when there weren't interstates. And when we traveled down a two-lane highways, and those those sightings were you know you could see them in in towns along the way i know that the one you spoke about on the show there's one in springfield and we talked about the one that is in near harrisburg uh, el dorado is that the name town Uh Yep. but what's the furthest you have traveled to obtain one of these or how how often are you on the road in search of these muffler men
0: Right. So it's been years now of, you know, aligning any kind of business trip I've I have with searching, you know, uh, every time I go anywhere, it's like, okay, what haven't I seen? It's getting more challenging now. In the early days, I actually we were based in southern Illinois. So, uh, you know, very close to where you live, probably or in the same state anyhow. And so, you know, in Illinois, was was full of giants thankfully. So I, I, you know, I was able to see a lot of them right away. But over the years, it became more challenging. I would say I think the farthest I've gone is there was this little back in the day on Roadside America, they had this little like three sentence tip from somebody that they thought they had seen one in Puerto Rico. And it took a while. But eventually, my company sent me to Puerto Rico. And uh, me and my Uh boss were going to this city to get some parts for some gear we needed. And I was like, Hey, we're only 20 minutes from like this area where there might be one. Do we have some time? And he's like, Oh yeah. You know, my, my all my, all my coworkers learned about this weird hobby of mine. And uh, you know, they may have laughed at me in the <laughs> beginning, but over the years, they all got into it. Right. They were all like, Hey, Joel, I, I saw this <laughs> for you or I took this picture for you. So, um, Sure enough, we went over there. We did some hunting in this the town of Caguas, Puerto Rico, and I I actually found this this muffler man. No one had ever taken a picture. I didn't even know what I was looking for exactly, but he was behind a like a, a workshop, an auto store, and it was just the coolest experience to to, to document this oh guy, take God. pictures, and update Roadside <laughs> America and say, "Hey, I actually found him. It's real." Yeah, that was probably my farthest one. <laughs>
1: Wow. Are are there others um, internationally? Have you heard of any others in other countries outside of the United States?
0: Yeah, there is a small group of them that have, uh, that have left the country. Canada worked very closely with International Fiberglass, who made all these giants back in the day. So a lot of them ended up in Canada. So there's plenty there. A few of them crossed into Mexico to the south, um, at least three or four. Of course, there's that one in Puerto Rico, which I think I'm trying to remember now. I, I, know, I, I remember reading that uh, the, the Texaco station owner in Puerto Rico who got him, like brought him down on a, on a container ship. And there's one in Panama hmm. City, Panama. And we verified that one. I haven't seen it, but my friends who visited went and found them for me. And then probably the most elusive is this tale of one in Venice, Italy, that we've never been able to find, but uh, they do travel uh, to other countries.
1: And do they, when they leave where they're made, do they leave fully assembled? Are they transported on big flatbeds? Or I know you talked just about the one that was on a ship, but to get through this country, right. is that how they traveled? Well, that must have been quite an undertaking back in those days. I mean, not not that it's ancient times, but could you ex- expand on that a little bit?
0: Sure. Yeah, these were these were all made roughly. The originals, anyhow, were all roughly made from 1963 to 1972. So there's about 10 years where these giants were made, um, and they were they were uh, all shipped. They normally were shipped uh, in pieces. The, the The giants came apart, so they were made in different pieces. You had the head, you had the torso the legs and then each arm and all that could come apart. You would Mm. bolt it together basically when you got on site and these were normally crated up and there was the, the, the International Fiberglass who made all these was located in Southern California. And they actually had a carpenter, a few carpenters that worked for them. And these guys did nothing but build big crates that all this stuff would go in. And the company did not just make muffler, man. They they just didn't make the giants. They also made all kinds of figures, animals and such. And so uh, these guys would crate them up. And in the early days, it was quite simple to ship them around, but as the trucking industry was evolving back then, all kinds of new taxes and fees and headaches started to arise over the years. So by the early hmm. 70s, when they actually went uh, stopped making the giants, that was one of the reasons why International Fiberglass closed their doors uh, was because the trucking hmm. industry had gotten so complicated and so expensive that just shipping these guys was, was such a headache.
1: Well, boy, that's enlightening. I would have never guessed that that would have been been the case. So these ones that you get, I'm sure you're not paying all this out of your own pocket. Do you have people that get grants to help pay for this? I know that uh, we're going to talk about your museum in Atlanta, but how, mm-hmm. how is all that funded, if I may ask?
0: Yeah, you know, it actually is out of pocket because there's other people that have been able to work with their city and get grants. Our museum uh, has done some of that. But as far as my giants, they are all a result of me just doing what I love and doing this searching and Mm. digging and hunting. And they, most of my giants in my personal collections have just been giants of opportunity. I've been at the right place at the right time, and I've been able to get giants for a price I could afford. And, and keep in mind, back when I started doing this, there there wasn't quite the hype and interest that there is now. There There was an interest and there was a following, but it has grown significantly. And anytime you have a growing interest, the prices rise. So back when I first started mm-hmm. this the first few years, I was able to afford Giants when I found them, as opposed to today, it's very difficult. I'm kind of out of Mm. the market, right? It's mostly business owners Mm. that can afford what they cost now uh, to purchase them. So Mm. yeah, I probably have six or seven Giants total, along with a lot of other things that I've found, and I've just been able to purchase them over the years. It all wasn't at once. It was over you know, 11 years or so.
1: Mm I'll be darned. Let's talk about your museum that started in Atlanta, Illinois, and that's on Route 66, is that correct? Yes. How did that come about?
0: I'll give you a little background. In about a year or so after I started hunting and and started this personal journey with the Giants, I had a few friends, and we decided to take a weekend road trip up Route 66 in Illinois. We lived in southern Illinois. We wanted to go from southern Illinois up to Chicago. And this was very early on, and there was a lot of giants I had not seen that were quite close to me. So one of our stops was Atlanta, Illinois, and Atlanta, Illinois is well known because it has a hot dog, an original International Fiberglass Hot Dog Man that was originally up in Cicero at a hot dog stand. And there's a whole history there behind that. But, you know, the guy who ran that hot dog stand and owned it, he, he passed away. And before he did, he, his family loaned it to the city of Atlanta, Illinois uh, as, a tour, you know, as a tourist attraction there. And so we stopped there, and just by chance, a man named Bill Thomas, who was part of what's called the Atlanta Betterment Fund, it's a group of people that bring money together to benefit that little tiny town of Atlanta, Illinois, he met us, he saw us out there filming The Giant and came out and talked to us. Uh, And this was back in like 2012, and because of that friendship that him and I formed that day and subsequent things we did together, like I would go speak at dinner Uh, events for him and and do history talks and things like that eventually bill and i started talking about this idea of having a museum and i was not able to buy you know buy a building or anything like that but bill with his connections and the betterment fund and me with all the giants i had it was a great combination i had i had the the items so to speak and bill had you know uh, the wherewith to get funding and and build a building so that partnership it took a few years but um last year they <laughs> built the building and all my stuff a lot of my stuff went up from our shop up to because i think the worst thing is to have have giants like these and then not not display them you know not it's a shame to to you know, have them all in a shop, and the public can't see them. And that—that's really been my desire. Is I want to share what I've learned with everybody and uh, create this unique experience. And so that's how the—that's how the museum came about. And we've already been open for a season now. We've—we're just wrapping up the season. The museum is—is um, is, yeah, roughly open from like February March to November every year, and and then closed in the winter months because traffic really dies out. In, on Route 66, but, uh, it's really been a joy to see the stories and see the people come in and learn about these giants and get their pictures with them. And, and it's, it's something we'll be adding to over the next five years. You know, every year we'll get more giants restored and get more, more stuff out there.
1: Well, just like Route 66 itself, it's a great nostalgia item for those of us who oh, do yeah. remember those things. And for those who are too young to remember, it's something for them to see that, that they would never have thought would have been part of the American landscape, and how wonderful too that you uh, just happened to meet that gentleman. And that's, if that's divine guidance or being in the right place at the right time, it it sure worked out well.
0: It did. It did. Yeah, that was uh, that was fortunate. I've had a few experiences like that.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, that's wonderful. I mean, I, I do believe that uh, there are there are forces in place and that put us where we need to be at times for these things to happen. So what is the strangest location that you have found a giant in, Joel?
0: Yeah, there's been a lot of places I have looked. I spent a lot of my time scouring the internet, old newspapers, newspapers, for clues and then i'll start there and, and and work my way to see if the giant still exists um you know these historic newspaper sites have just been a gold mine for me of looking for keywords and, and figuring out where a giant may have stood and then working that area you know uh i have um a map i've, I've made and i have like hundreds of pins on it. And a lot of that is just clues, you know, that I, you know, when I'm in that area, I'll go and start to work. I I was in an area once where I had, I put a pin and I remember I had some time and I started just going to like gas stations and restaurants and showing locals a picture of a giant that had stood in their community many, many years before. And Hmm. This went on for a little while. Uh, A lot of times it's a shot in the dark, but it's all I can do. And uh, I went to this Mm -hmm. uh, one Mexican restaurant, and there was a young man at the bar. And I remember thinking, I don't know why I'm even going to talk to him because he's young. He looked like he was 20s or 30s. You normally (laughs) want to talk to the older people because they're the ones that have been around and they're going to remember. But I had already started in his direction, so I said, I'll just ask him. (laughs) And I, I showed him the picture, and I said, have you ever seen this giant? I know it used to be around here. I just have no idea where it is. And the guy, you know, he put down his fork, and he looked at me with the strangest look, and he said, "Um, "This is in the this is in the attic of the business where I work." And uh, it was just like you know, mind blowing (laughs) that I talked to him. And so um, he gave me the address, and I drove over there. And you know, it's just a regular office building, but uh, years before. The building um, had, had, a, it had had like a uh, an upper door in the roof, like in the attic part, and they had completely re- remodeled it, right? So the giant had been stored in there, and then they had remodeled the whole thing and basically entombed him in the building. So nobody, you know, he couldn't get out anymore, and, and nobody knew he was in there. And so uh, I talked to the owner, and he's like, yeah, you can go look at him. And they pulled down this trap door. And I climbed up these rickety steps and I'm in like this old attic with the cobwebs, you know, something you're seeing out of a picture book. And, you know, there's this giant (laughs) with blankets thrown over him and I'm pulling the blankets back and I'm revealing this giant that hasn't seen daylight in, you know, 20, 30 years. So that was a very cool experience. One of the strangest places I've ever found a giant.
1: Oh, wow. There again, I mean, just serendipity that you just see this person and you just have that something guides you toward him. And like you said, not, not expecting a young person to know that. I mean, that's, that's so bizarre. How much do these on average giants weigh? How, how is it for you to get them back to where you're going to work on restoration for them? And how many people does that require?
0: You know, they're not that heavy. Uh, They're big and they're awkward, but they're not that heavy. They're just a few hundred pounds, you know, maybe, maybe uh, three or 400 pounds, So a few guys can lift them up if we can get them apart, which we normally Mm -hmm. can quite easily. You know, sometimes we have to, you know, grind off the bolts because they're so rusted. But normally when we get one, And we do this, not just for us, you know, it's it's rare when I get one, most of our trips where we're disassembling and we're transporting, I'm doing it for other people. That's kind of one of the services we offer is, you know, I will, I will help you find a muffler man or I can help you sell a muffler man. We help you transport it and restore it and set it up and all that stuff. So we do a lot of that. So a lot of what we do is we're just, um, We'll we'll help somebody find one that they want to buy and then we'll go off and go get it, take it down, you know, and restore it and set it up at their new place. So we do a ton of, of transport, but it's mm. it's normally quite easy to get them apart and two or three guys can lift the pieces then like, you know, two guys can lift up a pair of pants. That's heavy, but we can do it and uh, or a torso <laughs> or a head. And uh, we've actually customized uh, an old boat trailer to fit perfectly, right, to these to these guys, whether they're oh. apart or or all together. So we do a lot of a lot of transport, and uh, thankfully they're not heavy. When they get heavy, is normally when we're done with them, because what a lot of people want is an internal structure that will withstand all that wind. You know, we we've set up mm-hmm. these and. In, in, kansas and oklahoma and of course illinois is windy and you've got to have you know a good structure in there so we build these steel internal structures uh that's one of the things we've become known for because that's so important you don't want to worry about your giant coming down and that's what that's what they did they they blew over many many times back in the 60s because that wasn't Mm. thought through by international fiberglass and um you know that was one of the problems a lot of companies had uh like texaco and philip sixty six that ordered dozens of these guys and used them as promotional items that traveled a- across the United states
1: wow what a what a huge liability issue that would be in this day and age were something like that to happen. So I can see now where people realize that the, uh, the the benefit of having those weighted down like that. So, Joel, how is it that you ended up on CBS Sunday Morning? I mean, to me, that would be like, that's kind of a, uh, would be a highlight for me to have that kind of exposure. Is that something you've had before, or is that just kind of an everyday thing, or how did that happen?
0: Not to that caliber. Um, you know, CBS Sunday Morning is, yeah, That's a, that's a that's, I think that's the, most known show I've been on, but I—it's not—I'm not a stranger to doing interviews. Um, actually, quite early on, radio programs started having me on, and I've done lots of interviews for podcasts uh, with different people. So you know, I—I I, I was no stranger to doing to doing interviews. Um, obviously, I think anytime you're super passionate about something and you're excited about it, you know that's um, contagious. And uh, so people get excited about what you're excited about. So uh, I learned early on that, Hey, Joel, you, you do something that's very niche and, you know, unique and, and and that's going to, you know, and and everyone loves Route 66 and stuff. So, you know, you're going to get some attention there. And I've always been happy to talk to anybody that'll listen (laughs) about, about these giants. Um, But uh, yeah, you know, over the years, the more you do and the more you post, you know, the more people are going to have the likelihood of stumbling across you. And Connor Knightley, he works for CBS Sunday Morning, and he was doing a story that had something to do with a Paul Bunyan. I forgot exactly what it was Mm. he was doing. And he stumbled across me while he was prepping for that. And this was like a year ago uh, or more. Um, Mm. And he just made a note. He told his producer, he said, hey, there's this guy Joel Baker he restores giants and he hunts for them and you know he he said just put this in our back pocket i want to circle back to this guy and, uh, and they did. And I remember when, when his producer uh, called me up and she said, I'm with CBS Sunday morning and we're interested in what you're doing. I want to talk to you a few minutes. And the first, you know, they said right off the bat, like no promises, right? You know, that we're going to do anything. It's just preliminary. But um, I guess I passed the test and gave a good interview. So then they... It was a big job working with them to, it was the biggest thing we I'd ever done because mostly people want to do an interview with me and you know, the, they may ask me for a few pictures or videos mm-hmm. and that I'll send to them. And then that's the end of it. Or um, where mm-hmm. with CBS, I mean, they wanted to, to come fly out a crew and meet us and all this stuff. And, you know, they were interested in the museum. So it took quite a bit of work to line that all up because I live in Colorado. Our shop is in Southern Illinois where I used to work. So it just took some work to get, you know, me, I only go back out there maybe twice a year. And so it took a little bit of work, but we lined it all up. So their crew came out and I was bringing in a big truckload of of giants that I was bringing in from the West coast and we just timed this so there was lots of visual stuff for them to to video when uh, they were there. And then we went up to the museum and we hit a couple giants on Route 66. And they did a really good job. I was very, very pleased with the way that turned out. You know, it was quick. It was like five or six minutes. They shot enough content with me to probably make a, an hour-long documentary or at least a half an hour. <laughs> but it was well done. It was well done. I was I was pleased. It was a good experience working with them.
1: Well, that's good to hear. I always figured it would be. I figured they'd be uh, good people, really. And so, so how many people do help you total? I mean, approximately? Are these just your close friends that that help you get them on the road? And do you have a group that stays here in Illinois, Southern Illinois, that helps? Or yeah,
0: basically, the company I used to work for was was based there, and so my coworkers you know, in the beginning, they just kind of thought it was odd what I was doing. And then they started like, you know, being more (laughs) interested and, you know, taking pictures for me on their travels. And then a few, uh, two of them specifically around 2015, I found a giant that was in such terrible condition in Kentucky, not too far away that I, uh, I didn't know what I was doing, but I basically offered the people who owned it. If they'd loan it to me, I'd fix it up and find a missing head and arms for it. And this is way (laughs) back when I knew nothing of restoration, didn't know what I was getting into. And I basically got this home and I bit off more than I can chew. And I was like, I don't know how to fix this guy. And, uh, these two coworkers of mine are just the kind of guys, one was a welder, uh, and the other one is just good at whatever he tries to do and learn. He's just one of these people that can, you know, learn anything. And he, he figured out fiberglass, how to make molds and how to do all the sanding. Well, anybody can sand. So I did a ton of sanding, but the three of us restored that guy and did, you know, he looked so amazing when he was done, it turned a lot of heads and then we started getting business. And so um, that's how it started. And then the second, uh, the second giant we restored was a full size one. Uh, That was a 14 footer Mm. bunion, but Then we did a full-size one. It was uh, one of the uh, Native American Indian chiefs, uh, and they are, you know, they got all the feathers and the face detail and that that thing. And then we found a local (laughs) painter that was just incredible. So, again, you know, you talked about, you know, sometimes everything just working out you know it really all clicked for us and that 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 giant came out incredible and i started documenting how we restore these on youtube and uh yeah it really it really went from there and so uh yeah the guys continue to to run the shop in uh in southern illinois they actually have their own business now so we kind of work together i feed them I have the publicity and you know and so I, I call that my shop, but it's actually they've created a, a little company there that they do the restorations now. So yeah, it all works out it all works out pretty mm-hmm. well. And the best thing is we're restoring these giants. We're 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 keeping them alive, so to speak, or on the road, uh on the roadside so they can be enjoyed for more generations to come. Uh so that's uh mm-hmm. yeah, that that's near and dear to my heart. So
1: Well, that's, that's wonderful. It seems like I remember reading that some of their hands were in different positions that they, that they've, what may have started out as a muffler man has evolved into something different over the years. They might've been like the one that we had seen down by Harrisburg was holding, that's a grocery store holding a bag of groceries. He might've started out doing something different. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, they were all made for different things. And and maybe this is a good chance too to to just kind of talk about, you know, what is a muffler man? Uh, because this is a really important question and there's a lot of confusion on it, you know? A lot of people, and, the, and I really hit this after CBS came out with their story because people were sending me pictures of everything, you know, and, and assuming any giant statue is a muffler man, which which it really isn't. So a muffler man is distinctly, a, a statue that was made by International Fiberglass that has a very unique mold. The first one that was made was a Paul Bunyan, right? So he's got these, hmm. these legs uh, and a torso, and he's got one palm up and one palm down. They, he was made to carry an axe. And that arm position is very iconic with muffler men. And then there's all these other little clues you can look for that you know make a muffler man what he is. Um, and a muffler man is specifically that statue made from that mold. And then what International Fiberglass did is they they made a bunch of different heads. So there could be like a Alfred Newman looking character and there was a cowboy character. <laughs> and uh, there was they made uh, like a standard service man and the Paul Bunyan all using the same mold, right? They just change out the head or what he held. And it was very customizable. So back in the 60s, if you had a business and you wanted to advertise hot dogs, for example, like the guy in in uh, Chicago, then you would call them up and they would make you a giant that, you know, even Waffle House used these guys briefly and they held burgers. They could hold mufflers. They could hold whatever your business wanted, but the company used the same molds, right? So that's, that's what we call muffler men. And then there's a couple like giants that, kind of fit into the family like the carpet viking it was a different mold but about the same height and it was a viking statue hmm. and then they also made a, a female version called for Uniroyal tire called the Uniroyal tire gal and uh or miss miss uniroil they called them in the advertising back then so we kind of lumped them in as muffler men but then you have all these other giants that were made by either international fiberglass or other companies that aren't muffler men, you know, and people will call them muffler men because they feel, well, it's a fiberglass giant. It must be a muffler man. But so a good example of, of a giant that's not a muffler man is like the one you saw in El Dorado. And this is a big John statue. So big John is, he was, he's not a muffler man. He's actually almost 10 feet taller than a muffler man. He wasn't made by international fiberglass in California. He was made by a sign company in Cape Girardeau. And that grocery chain, Big John was very local to Southern Illinois. So these big Johns were made in Cape Girardeau, and, and, and there was one in Metropolis, there was one in West Frankfurt, there was the one in El Dorado, there was one in Carmi, and a bunch of towns that, yeah, don't even have them anymore. And, and these guys were hmm. not muffler men. So there's a ton of giants out there that aren't muffler men. Muffler men are just specifically this one kind, like the hot dog man in Atlanta, Illinois, or the Gemini giant in Wilmington on Route 66. These would be muffler men made from that very specific mold.
1: And you collect all of them, or you just collect the ones that are the the American fiberglass?
0: Our museum is very specific to international fiberglass, so international. that just about everything, just about everything you'll see in that museum came from Venice, California, and was made, you know, in the uh, in the okay. in the in the 1960s. Now, there's a few things that have been remade for the museum, like I've got some heads in there to show you the different versions that were made, and those have been made new from molds because it's hard to find some of these original heads just separate now. But uh, most of that stuff is is in international fiberglass and that's primarily what i'm interested in is the stuff but there's all Mm -hmm. kinds of cool stuff that was made by other companies as well
1: we have a large uh, abraham lincoln statue not too far from where we are in central illinois here in coles county a great big abe lincoln i don't know how who he was made from or if he's even fiberglass but uh, he's always been a little iconic in our neighborhood So, Joel, you must have gotten a lot of feedback from CBS Sunday Morning, a lot of interest and maybe leads on where you could find more muffler men?
0: That's right. Yeah, it uh, it's always a great opportunity when uh, somebody picks up your story, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, your audience grows, and that was a that that was huge with with CBS Sunday Morning. Obviously, uh, I was actually camping that weekend in the mountains, so I didn't even have cell service. <laughs> and uh, later on Sunday, when I got back into town, my phone was blowing up, and I was like, "Oh yeah," because I knew they were, I knew when they were going to air it, and I'd forgotten. It's always great. Over ninety percent of what you get back is always, you know stuff you already know about and it's people that are excited about what they've just seen and they they you know they they want to share with you their local giant and and that's great and that's great but you know most of the time i've uh i've already you know i'm aware of, of what they're sharing but i'm you know i'm always encouraging and i'm always happy for the tips to come in but then you get those very very few now but there's always hopefully a few, and I was hoping with this with CBS, that there'd be a few things I'd never heard about. Mm. And there were. Sometimes it's giants that you don't know about, and sometimes it's connecting history that you don't mm. know about. And there, there's this—International uh, Fiberglass made this like train engineer for an amusement park back in the 60s, and it ended up in Michigan. And I visited it, but it's no longer where it was originally, and the people who got it couldn't remember where they where it was found. <sighs> And so I've always wondered, like, where did this thing come from? Where was it? And because of that, you know, that CBS story, this lady sent me a picture of her and her brothers and sisters when they were young, back in the 60s, uh, standing in front of this guy and told me where, where it was. And it was up in, like, uh, St. Ignace, way up in Michigan, at some kind of railroad theme, <laughs> theme museum park. And uh, that was really great to, to connect the dots. So that's the result. Um, let's see, another lead came in of this lady that had what we call a Texaco, uh, Texaco made 300 giants back in 1966. And they put them at gas the, all their Texaco stations. It was an incredible promotion. Uh-oh. It was short lived because of the liability issues you and I talked about a little bit ago with them blowing over and falling on cars. Uh-oh. and It was just Texaco was like, this is a horrible <laughs> idea. So all the giants were ordered destroyed. But six of them That I know of today still remains. So that's a tiny number compared to the 300 that were made. And as a result of the CBS thing, a lady uh, contacted me and said, hey, I I have one of these giants in my backyard. So that the head of one, actually. So that was that was big. And she actually donated it to us. So that was also huge. And then uh, let's see. The we had one other. We had one other. One other guy write me, and he showed me uh, the year his yearbook, 1979, I think it was. And in front of his high school, there was one of these carpet Viking statues, which International Fiberglass made. And it was at a, a high school in Texas that I'd never heard of before. So I did a whole bunch of digging to see, you know, what happened to it. And it clearly wasn't there anymore. So I thought. <laughs> And it turned out to be this big mystery. And and I started finding pictures that were more recent and in color. But, you know, I looked at the, you know, I used Google, like satellite and street view and and all this stuff and uh, still couldn't find it and figured out that it was in an inside atrium. (laughs) So nobody, no, none of us crazy giant people that love to find these had spotted it right and only the students who really at that age when you're 18 you don't really care about giants <laughs> yet right it seems to come in your 20s and 30s that you start having a interest in this americana so um that was a big find to discover that there was one of these original vikings we didn't even know about so it's always a good thing you know when you know, people like yourself are are doing podcasts and things and, and, you know, more people are learning about these giants than we get tips we've never heard before, which is fantastic.
1: Wow. That's just, it's all just been so amazing, Joel, to hear, to learn more about this. Would you like to give any information uh, about how people could contact you or information about the museum or if anybody wants to donate financially, or if they want to donate a, if they know one of these, where they could find one of these giants, and what kind of contact information you'd like to give.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The best way to contact me is probably through uh, my social media. We're on Instagram. Uh, I post weekly. I used to do it every day. I, I try to, but that doesn't always happen. But often I post on Instagram, American Giants, all one word. You can direct message me through that. I'm also on Facebook, uh, same name, American Giants. And uh, I'm always sharing stories and things we're doing on there. Again, you can direct message me and contact me there. Uh, my email is also available on both of those places where you can you can email me, Joel, at usa USAGiants.com, USAGiants.com is my website. I don't update that as much as I should, but uh, there's a lot of stuff I've written on there since I started. So it's a great place to go to kind of catch up if you want to learn all you can about the Giants. I also have a YouTube channel where I have lots of episodes of my adventures. Uh, I just posted one yesterday, I think, of me digging around near Salt Lake City. You can watch a lot of my videos there on YouTube, again, American Giants. And then, of course, we have the museum. Uh, as you mentioned, American Giants Museum on Instagram, American Giants Museum on Facebook. Um, and, you know, those sites are are specifically and then, then we have the American website. And that's all more catered to your travel plans and, you know, visiting Atlanta, Illinois and traveling Route 66. So there's more information there if you want to visit the museum and our hours and mm-hmm. so on. And those change seasonally. So keep a, keep an eye on those, on those sites. Well,
1: I, I can't thank you enough, Joel. I know you're a busy guy, and I appreciate you taking time out to come on this podcast. And I think this is going to draw it to a close. I'm your host, Wendy Fleming-Dexter, and I want to thank you. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and share, subscribe. And thank you so much, Joel, for being my guest today. It means a lot.
0: Absolutely. Happy to be here.
1: Thank you, everyone. Please be kind. Thanks for listening to Life on the Illinois Prairie, the undercurrents of our American life. If you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe to Life on the Illinois Prairie wherever you get your podcast. Stay tuned for more stories, interviews, and updates. I'm your host, Wendy Fleming Dexter. Until next time.
0: Produced by Audovita Studios, connect your voice to the world.